so this is our proposal on clearing. It's very measured. It addresses uh, the uh, problems identified um, and we're taking action to make sure that over time we will build up in the European Union a stronger uh, architecture around CCPs. And that was the voice of Mairead McGuinness, European Commissioner for Financial Services, Financial Stability and Capital Markets Union, speaking in Brussels on Wednesday. The significant part of the announcement was, as you heard, the Commission's plans for what's known as clearing and CCPs, which stands for Central Counterparties. And we'll get into just what all of that means in a few moments here on the MLEX podcast. I'm James Paniki. It's great to have your company. And let's hear how European Commission Executive Vice President Valdis Dombrovskis described the EU executive's proposal for dealing with UK clearinghouses in the post-Brexit world. This is why we need to reduce our excessive exposure to non-EU clearing uh, houses because it poses significant risks to our market uh, stability. We also want to incentivize more clearing activity in the EU itself uh, to the extent needed to safeguard financial stability. So we're getting deep into the weeds of financial services this week to talk about the process known as clearing. The European Commission has put forward a raft of measures which include its vision on how best to tackle the question of reducing the bloc's dependency on UK clearinghouses. Now, regular listeners will know only too well that this is just the start of the EU's legislative process. Nonetheless, the ideas put forward by the Commission give us a sense of what will be on the table of EU lawmakers and national officials when the time comes. Fiona Maxwell is MLEX's Chief Correspondent for Financial Services and she joins me now from London. And from Brussels, we're speaking to our EU Financial Services Correspondent, Catherine Carlson. Um, Fiona, just to help us uh, walk through this issue here, what is clearing and why is this so important in the UK-EU post-Brexit environment? Hi, James. Thanks. So um, Catherine will get on to the meat of this week's proposals um, in a minute, but I'll, I'll give you a bit of kind of the backstory. So clearing is sometimes described as the plumbing um, of the financial services world, but actually it's really one of the most important parts of the system. Um, it's been around for a long time, uh, but following the 2008 financial crisis, it was made a regulatory obligation for certain derivatives contracts. And what it does is in the name, really, it's a central counterparty clearinghouse. Uh, it sits in the middle of contracts. So financial institutions aren't interconnected to multiple counterparties where one default threatens to affect everyone, which is what happened during the crisis. It's really important and uh, the safety of clearing houses is really a top priority uh, for financial regulators. So that brings us to Brexit. The importance of clearing, um, as technical as it might seem, should not be undermined. Um, and the argument over where um, certain derivatives contracts take place, so this specifically is euro-denominated derivatives contracts, this actually started when the UK was still part of the EU. Um, and I'll save you kind of the, the long battles um, in this history. But suffice to say, it's been a long gripe of the eurozone that its currency is predominantly cleared outside of, well, first of all, the euro area, and now actually outside of the EU as well. It's all become very political. um, And as soon as the UK voted to leave the EU, it was basically one of those topics that everyone said, okay, well, you know, this will be a number one priority, um, repatriating euro clearing back into the bloc. Um, And still now, we're quite a few years on from Brexit. Um, The UK is the main location for clearing euro denominated derivatives, uh, with a market share of uh, more than 90%. 
so that basically brings us to the present day um, with the proposals that Catherine will talk a bit more about that came out of the European Commission this week, which is basically the, the first real step to take back some of that market share. OK, well, Catherine, let me bring you into the discussion now. There was a lot of talk about these proposals in advance to their publication on Wednesday, and you and Fiona did a fantastic job in chronicling that uh, that talk and that discussion. What was uh, in the final package at the end of all that? Uh, yeah, so in the run-up to the proposal, we heard pretty much everything on the spectrum, from doom and gloom about banks being forced to move their operations from UK to EU clearinghouses, right to the other end, that the Commission was going soft on banks and not hitting them with punitive capital charges that would have pushed them to move their clearing to the EU. In fact, the reality of Wednesday's proposal is actually somewhere in the middle. So... Firms that use clearing will need to have what's called an active account at an EU clearinghouse, meaning not only that they need to have an EU-based account rather than being able to clear only through UK-based clearinghouses, but also that a certain proportion of their clearing operations for certain derivatives contracts need to go through EU clearinghouses. How active we're talking is anyone's guess so far. The Commission's been very quiet on how much activity it expects to mandate for the EU accounts. The final conditions on the level of activity required will actually be decided by the securities regulator ESMA. And Catherine, what's the significance of these changes? Were there any surprises on the day on Wednesday? Well, as dramatic as the active account requirement might sound, the reality isn't necessarily that much of a change. So for some of the derivatives contracts that are affected by the rules, EU clients already have an account at EU clearinghouses. The Commission said that this figure is probably around 60 to 85%, depending on the type of contract. So those clients will most likely just need to use those accounts more, or maybe they even already meet the future required amount which ESMA is going to decide. The really interesting change is actually a bit buried under a tweak to two other pieces of legislation that was released at the same time as the clearing changes. So under these changes, which are going to affect banks and investment firms, national authorities will need to monitor the firm's exposure to non-EU clearing houses. And then if they judge that the bank or investment firm is too exposed to a major non-EU clearing house, so basically the UK, the authorities can take action to reduce this exposure. Now, the Commission maintains that this isn't a threat of punitive action. It's just run-of-the-mill credit risk stuff. But I'm not sure that banks and investment firms will, will see it exactly the same way. The proposal also had some changes around energy. Those were changes from drafts that we'd seen in the run-up to the formal announcement. Now, we knew that the Commission was originally considering a requirement for clearing houses that clear specifically commodity derivatives to hold segregated default funds for those assets. Now, that would have affected energy contracts, which have obviously seen huge increased volatility and risk in the wake of the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine. But the Commission dropped this approach from the final text. In the end, it made some tweaks to respond to the energy crisis, particularly around transparency, and margin calls. But on the whole, the changes that are responding to the volatility in energy markets are quite mild compared to the direction the Commission could have taken. And Fiona, what about the impact? I mean, what will these changes mean for clearing houses and for banks? Yeah, I I think uh, mild is probably the best way to describe this, actually. Um, So, of course, these are just proposals at the moment. So we we don't know what the final package will look like. The next step um, in the EU is for the um, for lawmakers in the European Parliament and for governments in the Council um, of the EU to take a look. You know, the the Commission could be setting um, itself up for a big debate on some of these proposals. But uh, based on what we have now, 
mild, tame, good news, all of the above, I think. Um, it makes it easier for on the EU side for EU clearinghouses to put in place new services, new products. I think that would be welcome. On the UK clearinghouse side, the response is probably a little bit tentative because they don't know where um, ultimately these proposals will come back, come out. Um, but they knew this was coming and, and it's a lot better than it, it could be. There's no forced relocation um, to prevent EU banks from using UK clearinghouses. Um, there are no across the board punitive measures like capital charges. Of course, what these proposals are designed to do ultimately is to take clearing from the UK um, Euro-denominated clearing from the UK, but I think this is being done kind of more via positive reinforcement than anything else. And and really, if some business is lost for UK clearing houses, it's it's not really going to affect their bottom line. It's it's more of a symbolic loss. Um, personally, I think the really interesting thing to look out for here is how the EU banks are affected, because if the proposals are made tougher during this ensuing um, EU co-legislation process, the only way that EU can hurt UK clearinghouses is via their own banks. So they would have to punish their own banks to get at the UK. Um, and the most obvious way of doing that is um, kind of this, this carrot and stick approach. So encouraging use of EU clearinghouses, but at the same time punishing the use of UK clearinghouses. Um, and obviously that's very unpopular and it you could argue it's really cutting off your nose to spite your face, but it could be popular among um, lawmakers in the EU in particular. And one, one influential lawmaker Marcus Ferber actually said today he he supports that approach. So really, it's it's it remains to be seen. Um, just to to wrap up, as Catherine mentioned, the proposals do give the option for a capital surcharge, um, but that's on an in individual bank, so it's it's not across the board. Mostly discouraging use of UK clearinghouses will be done via supervisory measures. So EU regulators can tell banks and investment firms if they're overly exposed to a UK clearinghouse and require them to reduce that exposure. But really the thing I would watch out for is this competitiveness issue. So will EU banks be hurt if they are overly exposed to UK clearinghouses? And additionally, will it cost them more to work out just how exposed they are? Because that's that's not something... UK banks, US banks, yeah, any kind of competition is going to have to be working out. And, and that is something that, you know, even putting the systems in place, banks might say, you know, why are we suffering? We didn't vote for Brexit. And finally, and I'll ask you both this question, where do we go from here? What happens next? Uh, Catherine, let me start from you. Yeah, so I'd say be prepared for a relatively outsized lobbying fight over quite a small technical detail. Uh, so what I'm referring to here specifically is a new reporting requirement in the proposal, which is about which transactions need to be reported to trade repositories. The Commission has removed an exemption for certain transactions within a corporate group, which it says is to boost visibility. But the meaty stuff here is that multinational corporations have lobbied for years to keep this exemption in there so that they don't need to disclose transactions that happen in different parts of the same company, like an international furniture chain which hedges on commodity derivatives to avoid volatility in the price of its wood supply. We can probably see that multinationals like German auto manufacturers are not going to be happy about this, and their governments are likely to want to protect their national champions. So I would get ready for a battle on that, particularly between more corporate-friendly countries and corporate-skeptic lawmakers. And Fiona, how do you see things panning out? 
Yeah, I, I think on the EU side, that's an excellent summary. I think on uh, on the UK side, the industry will just be watching what's happening in the EU and how it affects clearing houses here, potentially how it affects international banks. Um, the other thing I'd point out is ha- how long will this take? So one thing we've kind of skipped over is the fact that at the moment, EU banks are able to use UK clearing houses under this kind of post-Brexit access arrangement. And that expires in June 2025. So it's, it's quite a while off. But to some extent, the commission is kind of kicking the can down the road a little because the current commission's term ends um, in 2024. So in some ways, you know, it's, it looks impossible for the June 2025 equivalence assessment uh, not to be extended in some way. Um, but I think ultimately this will be a job for future EU commissioners. So it's just something that we'll have to look out for. Catherine and Fiona, these are particularly significant developments for Europe. Thank you both uh, for keeping us up to speed. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thanks, James. Catherine Carlson and Fiona Maxwell cover financial services for MLEX from Brussels and London, respectively. And luckily for us, in the lead-up to this week's announcement, they wrote the definitive piece of analysis, offering a clear explanation of why all of this matters. That analysis is now out from the paywall and is available for everyone to read and enjoy. Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. There's a tab, it's called News Hub. Just click on that for all of the very best news and analysis from MLEX reporters around the world. As for this podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. Rate and review us where possible. It helps others know that we exist. And that's where we'll have to leave things for today. We'll be back in your feed next Friday at more or less the same time. We hope you can join us then. From me, James Paniki, and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.